And welcome to Cutting to the Ball Quarantine Edition. I'm Ben, as always, I'm joined by Gaz. Hello. And Mike. Hello. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the, uh, the dark side of the Blitz. Sorry to be a dick, but do you want to like, do the name of the show properly? <laughs> I did. You only did half of it. Oh, right. Did he? I didn't, didn't notice. Notice. I didn't notice, to be fair. Cutting through the ball. You missed half the title out. All oh, right, that's a new one. Oh, welcome to Cutting to the Board in the Post-Truth Apocalypse, then. Yay! <laughs> and I'm joined by Mike and Gaz. Say hello again. Hello. Hello, again. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Might as well do it properly. Oh, I guess so. Today we're talking about the dark side of the Blitz. You know, oh. the famous Blitz spirit. Was it all just a load of crap? Well, that's why I wanted to talk about it is because during this pandemic, there's the the blitz spirit gets invoked quite a bit on social media, usually by people who were born about 40 years after the fucking blitz. And it's not just a pandemic. They use it for everything, especially Brexit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought I'd like it would be interesting to shine a light on um, the actual realities of this, because I think it's a bit romanticized. Yeah, it's awesome that we survived a bombing. But, you know, it wasn't all like sunshine and rainbows. No, and I'll, I'll go a bit of background on that. And then awesome. um, some stuff about shelters and what went on in them. Excellent. Do you want to thank some new and returning listeners, Mike? Yeah, we can do. Start with my favourite place name ever. Okay. I've just seen Loveland, Colorado. Oh, oh wow. Sounds nice. Yep. But there's a probably lot of gay cowboys there. Probably a shithole, but yeah. <laughs> Colorado, Colorado, they're going to be very stoned and no. Is that where the weed's legal? Yeah. Yeah, so they'll be really stoned cowboys. Why not? I would be a good be. <laughs> Did you know that the summer of love began in the town of hate? Yes, because really? you've been that fact before. Have I? <laughs> <laughs> I like that fact. I know, I can tell. <laughs> you bastard. And I've got a memory of a, like a fish, so. <laughs> we all have. Southampton, UK, Windsor, Australia, Alexanach, Serbia, San Jose, California, Buxton, UK, Patnet, UK. Cypress Hill, Texas. Ooh, are they insane in a membrane? Maybe. I added the hill, to be fair. Yeah. Highbury, UK. Lucknow, India. Ashburn, Virginia. Worcester, Ohio. Telford, UK. Brighton, UK. Chicago, Illinois. And top, Fort Worth, Texas. Wow. Shady Nasty not there? Oh, yeah. Shadynasty's there. Shadynasty. Shady, nasty, whatever. <laughs> so, should we do some weird news? And then we will 
have a chat about this we this piece of uh, history. Let's do it. Let's get the boys' views on this week's weird news. Weird news. This is some stuff we find on the net. Uh, it's going to take 20 minutes, half an hour, uh, and then we will crack on with the main cut and thrust of today's topic. So uh, I will start. Man accidentally ejects himself from fighter jet during surprise flight. Oops. Yeah. Well, a surprise. Go ahead. Sorry. Is it a surprise flight? Well, I will tell you that in a second. A surprise outing in a fighter jet unnerved one defence company executive so much he accidentally injected himself while flying at over 500 kilometres per hour, 220 <laughs> miles an hour. An investigation into the debacle in France has found. What uh, mass is that? Uh, you're not up to speed of sound at that point. Are you not? Yeah. No, no, it was 600 miles an hour the speed of sound. Quicker than the number 45 bus, put it that way. It's quicker than Gaz when he's smashing things to things in his transit, like oh, monsters, I've got ghosts. Yeah, it's still I've... half the speed of sound, though. It's pretty fast. <laughs> well, yeah. It's quick. Quicker than a um, nun's first curry. Yay! The 64-year-old civilian got the most unwelcome ride of his life after the force of takeoff made him float off his seat, causing him to stand up and involuntarily grab the ejection handle to steady himself. Uh, the, the man had never expressed any desire to fly in a fighter jet and had no previous military aviation experience. Investigators said <laughs> his heart was racing at between 120 and 145 beats per minute beforehand, and the flight had been a gift from colleagues, and the man felt he couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> I very wish he had. <laughs> Basically, it's a little diagram here, and when he gets to about... Uh, it's literally on takeoff, he does it. As soon as wow. he starts to climb rapidly, he uh, he pulls the thing. He's the air accident report published on 6th of April found the man ejected when the two-seater Dassault Rafale B jet reached about 400 meters off the ground seconds after setting out from the airbase in northeastern France. His parachute deployed and he had a relatively soft landing, avoiding serious injury. A malfunction prevented the pilot from being automatically ejected too, and he was able to land the runway uh, plane on the runway despite the involuntary <laughs> departure of his passenger and the loss of cockpit canopy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's like, oh, there you go. Here's your retirement present. Have a, you know, have a flight in a military jet. All right, okay. And then because they hadn't buckled him in properly or put the suit on him properly, he started to float So uh, <laughs> as they took off, which is a, it's a, I think 0.63G, wow. it says on the diagram. Oh, man, that's amazing. Oh, what a present. <laughs> Next year, I hope they just gave him a tie or something. And just think... <laughs> And just think, if it wasn't for the malfunction, it would have took out a fucking fighter jet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they basically ignored medical warnings that passengers should not undergo the 3.7 G of force generated by the takeoff and loose straps that allowed him to float up. 
He also lost his helmet while being ejected. <laughs> we don't want to do that. You certainly don't. <laughs> I mean, he, he survived, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he survived. That's a birthday present you'll never forget. Oh, retirement <laughs> present. I think it's, I don't think I'll be going back to work after that. Nah, I'd definitely put a claim in. Where there's blame, there's a claim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poor bastard. Uh, yeah, still funny. Yeah. Okay. No one died. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. He's fine. No one died. There's only, the only casualty here was his trousers and the cockpit canopy. And his ego. And his ego. His career. And his well, probably his ability to have sex. So he, <laughs> bet, although he may have survived, I bet he was a bit, quote, crypto. You think he's a broken shell of a man now? Yeah, I think he's definitely got some spinal damage. Uh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's forth, isn't it? I know they have a parachute on him, but still it twats into the ground, doesn't it? And let's face it, this fucking clown didn't know what he was doing, did he? He didn't know how to no. land ejector seat. <laughs> <laughs> he probably smashed into an oak tree. <laughs> well, it's meant to um, fire you up, and then the seat's meant to come away, and the parachute deploys automatically. <laughs> no idea. It was probably upside down until it was too late. <laughs> I just can't, I'm trying to, it's not something I'd like to do is eject from a fighter plane. Nah, nah, me either. Skydiving, none of that appeals to me. Oh, it does to me. Really? I don't know why, I hate heights, but skydiving for some reason I've always wanted to do. Oh, not for me. I'm no, sorry, thanks, um... I should have done this when we weren't recording, but I have to open a can of pup, so excuse the sound. There we go. Sound excused. Well, you want my dulcet tones to sound nice and smooth, don't we? Well, I suppose so. Someone's got to. Yeah, because I've got this terrible cough that I just can't get rid of. Really? <laughs> have, you had it, have you had it for 14 days? Yeah, it's strange. I'm very hot as well. Really? Fever. Yeah. But sure, it's fine. I've been out and about today. Yeah. You've <laughs> been coughing on people. No, just touching as much stuff as possible. <laughs> Sneeze on your hands, touching stuff. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> are, you gonna, are you delirious with fever yet? Or? <laughs> what, what was that, Michael? <laughs> eh? <Hey>? Did... <laughs> All right, next article. <laughs> Virginia pastor who defiantly held church service dies of coronavirus. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah. I'm um, of the opinion that there's not many, there's not going to be a lot of really religious people left by the end of this pandemic. Ah, every cloud. <laughs> That's it. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, that was a joke. It's not, wasn't, it's not funny that people are dying. I wasn't joking. The cunts like this deserve to die. Well, read us the article, Mike. <laughs> After suffering a fever of 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit for four days and being told the medicine he had ordered was out of stock, 
at his hospital in Zhaogan, China, the sick patient had had enough. Mike, you're reading the wrong article. Am I? Yeah. yeah it did sound a bit weird. How <laughs> <laughs> is delirious. You read the headline. How did you manage to read the headline? <laughs> the right article. And the... I put it on read a view and it skipped an article. <laughs> oh, God, I'm battered. <laughs> 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 All right, let's try that one again, shall we? He practised what he preached, then he died of coronavirus. Evangelical pastor died of COVID-19 just weeks after proudly showing off how packed his Virginia church was and vowing to keep preaching unless I'm in jail or the hospital. Oh, dear. <laughs> in his last known in-person service on March the 22nd, Bishop Gerald O. Glenn got his congregation at Richmond's New Deliverance Evangelistic Church to stand to prove how many were there despite warnings against gatherings of more than 10 people. He said, I firmly believe that God is larger than this dreaded virus. You can quote me on that. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. He also said that people are healed in his church. Well, clearly not. Oh, no. Bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> it's fantastic. Thing is, you're gonna have these common and these snake oil merchants saying, "Oh yeah, God's gonna heal us." God's... They're all gonna fucking die of it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of human evolution and the society we live in. Well, you know, the thinning of the herd, but that is all a little bit, you know, eugenicsy, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit. Um, well, I'm just saying that the sooner organised religion like this is gone, the better. Okay, but but do we need death? of them all to get rid of it or can't it be something a bit more well it's your own fault though isn't it I mean they're being told by scientists say don't and, and doctors don't go in big groups stay at home and he's like no no God's going to keep us all safe well clearly he isn't is he because he's just not real he's not real so yeah but the thing is they're a threat to us as well because they can pass it on to us well there you go yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be the first to die <laughs> it's like yeah I mean, these people are absolute bastards. I mean, do you see, uh, there's one chap, I can't remember what his name is, but you know there's the whole uh, clique of these guys, Jim Backer and Pat Robinson and F- F- Joel Elstein or whatever his name is. And, like, they're, you know, the Americans this week have been getting their $1,200 checks, yeah? Right. And they've been like, oh, well, give that to the church. You should be giving that to the church because you can't go. And you're like, it's just people, money people need to pay their fucking rent and food and feed their family. And you fuckers yeah. are just quite happy to take it off. And now you're all, you're all bastards. I mean, yeah. it's, I think they sh- it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, I'm, I have no sympathy for this man. Yeah, it is pretty funny that he's dead. <laughs> I just hope he hasn't infected loads of other people. The sad thing is, he probably has. Yeah. Well, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not cool at all. It's not. These people are bastards, Zoom. Yeah. Well, fuck them. Shall I read the last one? Yeah. Okay. 
I asked if they'd let me smash that silverback's snot box off. Mike Tyson admits he once offered a zookeeper £9,000 to fight a gorilla. Fucking hell. Wow. Boxing legend Mike Tyson was at the peak of his powers in the late 1980s. During those years, he tried to bribe a zookeeper to let him fight a gorilla. The boxing legend became the youngest ever world heavyweight champion when he knocked out Trevor Burbick in 1986 at the age of 20. Tyson went on to etch his name into boxing folklore, but throughout his career had several controversial moments. And in the late 1980s, at the peak of his fame, excuse me, I have to cough, but it's not corona related. <clears throat> oh, sounds a bit dry. <laughs> Tyson has revealed how he tried to bribe a zookeeper to letting him climb into the gorilla enclosure and fight one of their silverbacks. I paid, I'm not going to try and do his voice. I paid a New York worker, I paid a worker at New York's zoo to reopen it just for me and Robin. That was his wet ex-wife, Robin Givens. Once we got into the gorilla cage, there was one big silverback gorilla there just bullying all the other gorillas. They were so powerful, but their eyes were innocent like an infant. Aww. I offered the attendant $10,000, which is about £9,000, to open the cage and let me smash that silverback snot box. He declined. Tyson, Tyson is a self-proclaimed animal lover and houses over a thousand pigeons and also used to keep two Bengal tigers as pets in his Las Vegas mansion. Oh, um, wow. Then he's not going to talk about Tiger King. He can't That's be that thing. much of an animal lover if he wants to beat up animals, well, is he? I think he wanted to beat it up because it was picking on the others, you see. But that's yeah. their social hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, but then he well, didn't know there. that. He wanted to go in there and stick up for him. And I, plus, I'm an animal lover, but I, for one, would, would have paid to see a Mike Tyson in his prime attempt to knock out a gorilla. Well, this is true. Because the chances are he'd probably get mauled and mangled quickly and easily. But I reckon if he caught that gorilla just right on the chin, just like a human, I think the reflex would be the same and it'd go down like a sack of shit. But or he'll break I, his hand. No, well, he's a fucking gorilla, mate. We'll <laughs> see. We'll st- I don't know, man. Tyson was... I'd, all I'm saying is I'm willing to... I would pay the £50 for the pay-per-view. <laughs> oh, I'd pay the pay-per-view. I mean... I mean, obviously, the problem is, though, if that gorilla, like, just rips him apart, I mean, like, pulls his arms off. Yeah, within seconds. Within seconds. I mean, number one, you've wasted your 50 quid, and number two, they're going to have to really scrub the fucking ring to get that clean. Yeah, but there's always... He's got that puncher's chance, hasn't he? (laughs) Well, if Rocky has taught me anything, there's always a puncher's chance. You know what I mean? You've always got that one chance, no matter what happens. You know, the end of round 10, that gorilla could have pounded... Pounded Tyson, thrown him all over the cage, really rocked him for ten rounds, and right for the last bell. And would we celebrate him for knocking out the gorilla? You bet your ass we would. (laughs) King of the monkeys, bitch! And his career could have been so different. Maybe he'd be known as Tyson the gorilla fighter rather than Tyson the rapist ear biter. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe... If he did beat the gorilla, they'd have some kind of then relationship where they're friends. Oh, yeah. So the and gorilla they, could maybe go and live with him. That he's earned his respect, so yeah, he moves into the mansion. Yeah. <laughs> it's a feel-good story of the year. <laughs> and they train together in the gym and stuff, like besties. Yeah, yeah, he's like his sparring partner. He's at ringside with him. 
<laughs> he becomes his corner man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they groom they, each other. Everything. Do, do they become secret lovers as well? <laughs> hey, if you want to push that allegation at Tyson or a silverback, you are welcome to make that accusation. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> you have to fight them both. Yeah, the tag team. Yeah, fuck that. And I'm, I'm not tagging with you, Mike. I'm sorry. I wouldn't take on Tyson now. I, I'm afraid I'm just going to watch you get mauled, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll remember you. This <laughs> is last words like Zeppelin rule. He's I'll torn apart you. by a gorilla. I'll honor you, buddy. <laughs> Let's raise a point to Mike's memory. Yeah, that was a mess, wasn't it? Oof. Oh, fuck, it would be, wouldn't it? I'd have to be the one cleaning that up. No, I'm going to go get a letter pick with a bin bag after. <laughs> <laughs> you need a fucking, like one of them steam foam machines, whatever it is. Steam. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. Do the surface of the ring, yeah. <laughs> right, oh. I think Shoot. the news for this week then. Well, yeah. news. Let's do the dark side of the blitz. American listeners and other national, other nationalities that listen in might not know this blitz spirit thing that we Brits are supposed to have. Basically, it's back to the wall. We'll all pull together and survive. And it's, it's a very romanticised period of history. Um, as I think the Second World War has become quite romanticised in the British mindset. Yeah, that was a major victory at the time, wasn't it? Because we are on our fucking heels. And, well, uh, yeah, so... I'll start that now, if you like. I'll give you the, how we came to be in such a position. Okay. May 1940, Dunkirk. You familiar with Dunkirk? You seen that awful movie? I uh, have. Yeah, that's 338,000 British and Allied troops are evacuated. France has fallen and Britain stands alone against Nazi Germany. That's not quite true, is it? Well, we had the Empire, yeah. No, didn't we have Poland? Had Poland gone by that point, probably? Yeah, they've been overrun. Um, surely we had other allies, Australia at that point, no? Yeah, the Empire, so, so Empire, um, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India. Yeah. So we're not, well, we're entirely alone in Europe, pretty much, then. Yeah. So we have then June to the September, the Battle of Britain. The Germans want to invade Britain, finish the war, but they need air superiority. Standing in the way of spitfires and hurricanes of the RAF, who give them a jolly good thrashing. Oh, good old boys. The Battle for Britain's virtually over by September, and by the 7th of September, the Luftwaffe, which is the German Air Force, has switched its attention from attacking RAF airfields to attacking British cities, which basically is saying we're not going to invade anymore. Do you know what blitz means in German? Lightning. Yeah. Blitzkrieg, lightning war. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 7th of September is the first major attack on London, known as Black Saturday. Ironically, the Germans first bombed London by mistake. Right. What were they Bear supposed mind, to be bombing? They were supposed to be bombing something else. <laughs> okay. But it's dark. Everything's blacked out. You've got this blackout, remember? It is literally pitch black on the streets. No street lights. Yeah, but if there is, you're meant to be hitting a target and you you miss and you hit London. I mean, London, it's massive. It is, but they missed, so we retaliated and bombed Berlin the next night. 
because Hitler didn't want to bomb London originally, thinking there might still be a peace and, uh, you know, you don't want to piss Brits off by bombing their capital city. He had a soft spot for the Brits, didn't he? He did have a strange soft spot for us, yeah. His favourite film was, uh, like, Lives of the Bengal Answer, which was a British war film about uh, the Indian mutiny, I think. Yeah, and he was quite impressed with the old British Empire as well. Yeah. So he, he did want to actually make peace with us. He, wanted, he did. Point. He wanted us to be allies with him. He saw us as natural allies. That's how bad guys we were in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were natural allies to Hitler. Well, a lot of our upper classes shared quite a few of his beliefs. Oh, well, look Still at the guys of Oswald Mosley. Yeah. And the fascists. I mean, if you look at these things, it's never the um, upper class who stop, who don't want to go more right wing. It's always the working class That's who's it. trying to stop it. And after the Second World War, we propped up the fascists. Yeah. We propped up Greece, the fascist regime there, and, and, and Spain. Yeah. But we were jolly polite whilst doing so. Hmm. <laughs> yes. With our rifle and bayonet. Very polite. Yes, as always, bringing peace and order to the world and good old-fashioned morals. Yes, yeah, apparently so. Anyway, London was bombed for 57 consecutive nights with over 13,650 tonnes of high explosives and 12,586 incendiary canisters dropped by the Luftwaffe. Now, if you go online, there's a website, I forget what it's called now, but it, it shows you all the bombing, all the bombs that landed in London during the Blitz. It wow. is incredible. I mean, it is just a sea of red dots all across London. That's just London they've mapped. Okay. Coventry got hit the hit the worst, didn't it, Ben? Yeah, it did. They were well, um, forty thousand dead and wounded in one night. Fucking hell. And the Nazis actually coined a term called Coventryian, which means to do what they did to Coventry. Wow. Basically just bomb it out of existence. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 43,000 died in London alone. As Getting well. sent to Coventry. Yeah. Uh, the worst of it is they had evacuated like a million and a half children out of, the, out of London especially. Right. Because they weren't really very well liked in the country, these city urchins turning up and ruining these peaceful little villages. Yeah. And the people imagine. just having like, you've got a spare room, take these two. Didn't have a say in it. Yeah, and plus they kept going through that fucking wardrobe into Narnia. They <laughs> did. <laughs> they caused chaos in Narnia. <laughs> they did. <laughs> that was shit. A lot of them had to come back to the cities by this point. Right. Shelters, uh, you had, they gave out 150,000 Anderson shelters, which is basically some metal, and you made it yourself. Okay. Dug the hole, put the steel over the top, put earth over the top of that, filled it, made it as comfortable as you could. So the raid siren goes off. Well, most people used to spend the night in them after a while, but originally the raid siren would go off and you'd rush immediately down there. Okay. Not going back for your cat or dog. Wow, well, no. Um, yeah, so they distributed 150,000 of them 
And they also came up with this uh, Morrison shelter. There was an iron cage doubled as a table. Uh, the idea was the shelter's under the table. You crawl into it. You crawl into that. When the bombing ends, if you're trapped, you can just sort of open the cage and crawl your way out. The problem Yay. is you can't get out. The building's on fire. You're pretty much screwed. Ah, not cool, yeah. man. <laughs> it didn't didn't go well that bit. So people were spending the nights in various places, anywhere underground, uh, in church crypts. So you're being bombed and you're sitting down there with the long dead. Yeah. Underground, overground. <laughs> <laughs> people were hanging around with with wombles, obviously. Um, yep. Because yeah. the basically it was weird because the government didn't want to build bomb shelters even though everyone knew in the next war bombing of cities was going to be a thing. Well, the government fucked the people over again then, didn't they? Yeah, uh, sixty thousand people would go down to the underground stations, the tube. Wow. Because he said, well, hang on, you haven't given us a shelter. We haven't got a garden. There's no public shelter. We're coming down here. And eventually they relented and actually put some extra toilets in and, and bunk beds and everything. Yeah, and people think it was like, oh, they were all underneath there dancing and singing and having a good time. No, they were down oh, there no. with fucking rats. Yeah. It was the bottom Rat. of the fucking London Underground. It oh. wasn't pleasant. No. Yeah, all the, all the propaganda pictures, of course, were... Oh, yeah, look at this. They're having a tea party. It's like, yeah, it's been fucking staged. It's like, it was miserable. I mean, it, one, there's one show, which it was a crypt in London. So it was a crypt underneath a marketplace. It was just like a wash with urine. There was nothing down there. All it was, <laughs> was an underground place to spend the night in comparative safety from the bombs. But maybe not that guy next year. Looks a bit shifty and looking at his knife a lot. <laughs> You know, imagine if you're frantically the, the sirens are going, and you're like, this shelter's full, this shelter's full. Oh no, the pissy shelters. In the <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> piss for the night. There's <laughs> a bad thinking about, is it? No, because yeah, there were beds down there, but not everybody got the beds. Yeah, it was called Mickey's shelter. Mickey's Shelter. <laughs> Mickey's Shelter. And at first, it was the massive vaults between the Fruit and Wool Exchange in Brushfield Street, London. 5,000 people were meant to shelter in it, but on the first night it opened, twice that number of people came in. By 7.30 that evening, every bit of floor space was taken. The floor was awash with urine. People slept on piles of rubbish, and the passengers were loaded with filth. The lights were dim or non-existent, and there was barely any room to move. Oh, sounds lovely. Let's go back to that. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Out of this chaos, there came a system of rules to make it more bearable. When the shelter was finally recognised by the authorities, toilets were installed. All of this was thanks to Mickey, a three-foot-tall hunchback optician. Wow. Oh, shit, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> He's the true hero of the Blitz. Mickey, the three-foot-tall hunchback optician. Fantastic. Why is there a statue of him anywhere? Uh, He's small, no one would notice it. Yeah, but it'd be cheap, wouldn't it? 
that would be. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at there's nightly scenes of fighting, music, laughter, sex, murder, rape. Oh, uh, people crying and pissing themselves in fear as the bombs land closer above. Crashing <laughs> uh, back and forth, I imagine. You know, rats scurrying over your feet or over your face as you attempt to get some kind of fitful waking sleep. Oh, God. Shiny, happy people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you go back up and then you find your house is gone. It's been raided and looted. Certainly has. Crime flourished. We'll get, uh, well, we'll get specifically which crimes as well later. Yeah, because basically when the Blitz did start, the first well, the first people to be liberated by Britain in the Second World War were the, were the country's own criminals. As soon um, as it was declared in 1939, the gates to the country's prison swung open for any inmate with less than three months left to serve and all the Borstal boys who had completed six months. Fuck's sake. Brigands and thieves. Yeah. One of the, the big guy, who was uh, one of the first lucky ones, was a guy called Billy Hill, who was a gangster from central London. He became the leading figure in the capital's underworld. Wow. Um, he did say, I don't pretend to be a king and countryman, but I must say I did put my name down to serve, and until they came to get me, I was making the most out of a situation. The black market. Well, he was an opportunist. Yeah, because everything was rationed. Yeah. You know, he well, was selling barrels of whiskey for 500, 500 pound a bar, barrel. Bastard. Also remember, a lot of young policemen have gone off to fight. Yeah. The police force is, is weakened. And remember, petrol rationing is in force. So there's not as many police cars on the streets. Blackouts. Blackouts. So no one can see what you're doing as it is. But if you put an ARP, when it's an air raid, prevention uh, airway precaution officer they would just be civilian volunteers that have a helmet and an armband and a whistle and they direct you into the shelters and stuff and they'd even walk the streets as they were being bombed and taking shelter where they could yeah um, we've all seen dad's army yes they get some of those armbands and then go and uh, rob a jewelers so we're removing it for the good because they yeah. think it's destroyed removing it gives an hand put it in the van and they won one thing. They made off the 6,000 quid's worth of jewellery. It's a lot of money back then. And the public were helping them load it. Genius. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Working class heroes, Ben. Yeah. But it was weird. The laws on looting were strange. Like, so, there's stories about rescue parties going to a pub and having to dig for bodies. And they're digging with the shovels on their own hands, remember? One of the leaders of such a rescue party found a bottle of brandy and passed it round his men to have a swig. Um, he was sentenced to six months in prison. Okay, is that classed as looting? Because it was classed as looting. Huh. Bastards. Well, that's what you get. Them's the rules. Yeah, I mean, even the bodies would have to be taken to various places, like secure rooms and watched over, because people come and have the gold teeth or the rings off their fingers or the watches. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> it's not. Cool. You know, it's not. 
Well, that's capitalism. Uh, that's capitalism. Uh, Should we do the list of crime? Yeah, man. Obviously, looting. One day in November 1940, 20 of the 56 cases listed for hearing at the Old Bailey concerned looting offences. The total number of cases for the four months of the Blitz to the end of December was 4,584. When the wow. Café de Paris restaurant and nightclub in Piccadilly suffered a direct hit by the Luftwaffe in 1941, rescuers had to battle their way through looters that were fighting to tear rings and other jewellery from the dead revellers. There were many cases in which looters weren't just criminals, members of the public, firemen, wardens, and other members of the defence forces often joining in too. Nice. So dark, isn't it? Just yeah. think about that, man. Fresh dead bodies, and people are so desperate, so poor, that they'll just start scrabbling through the bodies, trying to grab anything they can. Yeah, prying the teeth out of corpses. Fucking yeah. hell. Oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the day. They don't know they're born, do they? Oh, a bunch of snowflakes, aren't they? Yeah, uh, snowflakes getting triggered by things. No, uh, actually, I think today is worse than back then. When you put it Today's like that. Worse. Yeah, I think it's worse today than it was back then. I mean, all right, they're pulling gold teeth out of dead corpses just to feed their families, but they never had to put up with a bloke in a dress demanding to be called Susan or I'm a hate. <laughs> uh-huh. I've committed a hate uh, because I didn't respect you. I didn't respect bearded Susan's right. <laughs> no, I'm a fucking bigot. Oh, I'm a bigot now, am I? I'm a yeah. So what you're saying is, Gaz, if you wanted to call someone a Nancy back in the 1940s, that was fine. But you can't yeah, do it now. No, you can't. No. <laughs> you're great. You should be ashamed leaving ass like that. <laughs> You want a bloody good seeing too. No, not like that. <laughs> I was in a war, you know. I put paper yes. on a few like you. <laughs> I'm going to read number two on this list. Killers in the good old Blitz, boys. Back during Would the you Blitz. like to hear about the most famous one in a moment? Yeah, OK. I'll go read the article and I'll go into more detail after. Read the piece. Okay. With Sears and Towns plugged into dark, plunged into darkness every night, killers had a field day. A young airman, Gordon Cummings, was nicknamed, oh, I think this is about him, but the Blackout yeah. River, and roamed the bomb-ravaged streets of London in search of young women to murder and mutilate. He killed at least four between 1941 and 1942 before he was caught and became an early victim of the infamous British hangman, Albert Pierre Point. Never heard of him. Uh, no, he was. He was our number one state executioner for years. I think he might have been our last one as well. Uh, I think mm. after he, he went into British professional wrestling. <laughs> Hangman Pierre Point. Uh, oh. Other later victims of Pierre Point who began their murderous activities during the war were John Christie of 10 Riddington Place, Fame and John Hay, the acid bath murderer, the circumstances of the war assisted both men in their crimes. Despite a criminal record, manpower shortages helped men uh, helped Christie to become a part-time special police constable 
and the associated veneer of respectability was very useful to him. Mm-hmm. Hay also found the war a convenient cover for explaining his first victim's disappearance. His claim that the man had run away to avoid conscription to the army successfully diverted suspicion. Fuck. Yeah. So to well, tell you a bit more about the Blackout Ripper. Okay. Four killed in six days. Called the Blackout Ripper due to comparison to Jack the Ripper as both killers mutilated their victims. Uh, there was Evelyn Hamilton. She just was strangled to death and her handbag stolen. Nita Ward. She was found in her flat. She'd been strangled. Her throat had been cut and sexually mutilated with a can opener. Oh, Lord. Margaret Florence Lowe was strangled with a silk stocking and her body mutilated with a variety of implements, including a razor blade, a knife and a poker. Dorothy Joannette, she was strangled and her body sexually mutilated in a similar fashion to the previous ones. This is where the Jack the Ripper comparisons came in. One got away, Margaret Haywood, she managed to get away. But then he found Greta Hayward. Oh, no, sorry. He found Mrs. Mulcaney. She managed to get away as well. well. That probably doesn't sound like him. I think that's someone else. He's having a go anyway. The problem is, <laughs> the Ripper did not have a gas mask. Right. And Cummins did. Okay. And his RAF service number was written on the side of the case. And he left it behind. (laughs) And that's how he was caught. What a tit. Yes. What a tit indeed. (laughs) Do you want to read the next one, Mike? Yeah, ma'am. In London, there were Jewish, Maltese and Italian gangs as well as Cockney outfits. The Maltese Messina gang controlled the London vice scene with an iron fist. Prostitution boomed in the war in line with the massive inflow of soldiers, sailors and airmen. By 1944, there were over 1.5 million GIs in Britain, while the home armed forces totaled 3 million, many of whom were based on the home front. Hordes of servicemen would pour into London or other British towns and cities on nightly furloughs looking for fun. The Messina ran a huge gang of girls nicknamed the Piccadilly Commandos to satisfy London demand. The incidence of sexually transmitted diseases naturally soared, as did business for backstreet abortionists. Oh, doesn't sound great. Golden era of backstreet (laughs) abortion. I wish you you could go back to then. What a title. Jesus (laughs) Christ. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, it's it's shocking, isn't it? How lovely and cheerful. Uh, do you want to read the next one, Ben? Yeah, I've touched on Billy Hill, the uh, London crime boss. Yeah. He said, it was the most fantastic side of civilian life in wartime. Make no mistake, it cost Britain millions of pounds. But I didn't make use of the black market. I fed it. <laughs> okay. He's a working class hero, then. Yes. He was the one. Oh, you want some stockings, Dorothy? There you go, love. Have a pair of nylons. He's just going around dishing shit. Do you want some chocolate, little Timmy? Can't get this on your rations, can you? Oh, what a legend. I love people. Yeah. Like, just a bit of a Dell boy. Exactly. You know, he's 
Oh. And the thing is, he's still making a shit ton of money anyway. Yeah, he was harmless. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't play the people he killed, maybe. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, if he looked at him funny, he'd probably kneecap you, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's lovely. <laughs> lovely he did volunteer to serve. Uh, well, fair enough. I just proved he's a psychopath. <laughs> well, in 1940, at this point, we could have been invaded, so you'd have had to do something. To be fair, that's when you need psychopaths when you fight yeah. a, a fucking enemy like the Nazis. You'd be in the own guard, wouldn't you, Mike? <laughs> no, mate, I, I'm a conscientious objector, mate. You could have been a medic. Yeah, I could have done something like that, yeah. You know, at least it gets the, uh, the women with the white feathers off your back. <laughs> you know, he could be the private Godfrey in Dad's army, that old guy. Legend. <laughs> Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Yeah, Hitler? Hitler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you think uh. England's done. Yes, of course. Uh, that's what the thing is like romanticising again, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Um, shall I do the next one? Because I've already gone through a bit of a Billy Hill. Uh, the most significant and lucrative black market activities centred on the long list of staple products subject to rationing. Food, petrol, and clothing rationing was administered through ration books and coupons. These provided forgers and thieves with great opportunities. In 1944, 14,000 newly issued ration books were stolen in a raid. They were uh-huh. sold for an estimated profit of £70,000, roughly equivalent to £3 million today. Wow. Fuck. Yeah. That's a brilliant yeah. scam, though. It's a big yeah. Well, it's not, because that means that little Timmy might not have his meat ration that week, because there's not uh, enough. Oh, fuck little Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he's a right prick. <laughs> he speaks highly of you. Oh, well. That shows you he's a right prick. That's <laughs> <laughs> why so you shouldn't be no. worried. <laughs> <laughs> Forgery took place on a small and large scale, but was hard to pin down. A rare major prosecution took place in Manchester in 1943, when 19 men were accused of involvement in a wide-ranging racket of selling forged clothing coupons. A printing press in Salford supplied a whole host of wholesalers in the north and south of England with high-quality forgeries. The going rate for a sheet of forged coupons on Oxford Street was £10, around £400 in today's money. Uh, rationing naturally gave rise to a great deal of corruption among shopkeepers, farmers and officials and many culprits did end up in court uh, well little Timmy is having food rubbed off his plate so you know heaven forbid somebody try and make some money without the government getting their fingers involved <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this is it is back to the war time I suppose if there's ever a time to pull together it's it's now, but not for criminals. That's not the criminal. Someone's not, always gonna make some money. What's what does Batman say? Criminal criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot. Also very opportunistic. 
Yeah. Don't hate the player, hate the game, Ben. Hate the Germans for dropping those bums. Not the little yeah. cop. Little cop. He's trying to make some money off little Timmy. <laughs> And he probably charged little Tibby's mum, like probably gave her like five bob to give him an hand job uh, so she could get a <laughs> tin of peas for little Timmy. And you know, my lovely scene that is. The Blitz. Oh, I wish you could go back, well, she wish you could go back to them times. She cheerfully looks away as she jerks him off. Yeah. <laughs> herself at how low she's sunk but she must feed that child oh the blitz spirit eh oh, yeah. oh, we'll, oh. we'll get through months, this covid we'll get and, through this covid and six months later he dies of scurvy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with no teeth. Oh, little <laughs> it was all in vain oh well how tragic great yeah. times eh Fuck them, they were poor. <laughs> I think everyone was... Actually, I imagine that everyone had money, but there was just nothing to spend it on. So if you haven't got money, you're going to go to the black market, aren't you? Uh, well, it's like very brief tangent, but one of my favourite lines from the most recent Red Dwarf is a very subtle, small one, but when the distress signal first comes in, and Crichton's like, sir, there's a distress signal, and Rimmer's just like, Sod them, Crichton. <laughs> Can't do it as well as he does it, but yeah, it's perfect. Sod them. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, our ancestors were all right. They survived this hell bucket of well, hell. Because my grandparents lived in, in Dorley, so we weren't getting bombed. I don't know where mine lived, to be honest. Wales somewhere. Mine was sheep shagging. Oh, Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton, of course, did get bombed. Yeah. Oh, well, is that why it looks how it does today? Yeah, they used to never bothered to rebuild it. <laughs> <laughs> Some parts of it do. I mean, remember, the, in, all right, go back to London a second. The, um, the East End docks, which are the main docks in London, have the shit bombed out of them. And you've seen the film Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Like the the Vietnam scenes are ah sorry mate, you broke up a bit. Oh I said that's not set at the London Docks. It's filmed at the London Docks. Oh. Full metal jacket. Where they they're fighting in the Vietnamese city at the end with the sniper, that's the Docklands in London. They just put some fucking trees in, some palm trees in. Wow. It was still a shithole back in the. It was still fully rebuilt back in the uh, in the early eighties, and of course, then big investors came in and turned the Docklands into that sort of area. Didn't they? Canary Wharf is near the Docklands, for example. Mm. It, it became like where the business was done, basically. Where the business is done, right? Who's reading the next one? Where, where the where the crimes are done, then. Well, where the crimes are done, yes. So, who's got crimes went international? Go on then. Um, you missed one. Commen. Oh yeah, Commen took advantage. Corruption was not confined to rationing in the black market. Many other wartime activities offered scope for the unscrupulous. 
For example, the massive amount of civil defence work commissioned was ripe for fraudsters. In West London, a dodgy contractor conspired for gain with a Hammersmith clerk of works to falsely certify air raid shelters as sound when they had been shoddily built. Oh, fuck me. And were unfit for purpose. Does that sound wow. like <laughs> that, that is a scummy fucking thing to do. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me in the least that Good old times, eh? Yeah, it still happens now, guys. Look at look at Grenfell. Well, yeah. That was unfit for purpose. Yeah, should have never been fucking built, but it was cheap and quick. And fuck the animals who live inside. They don't care. They've never cared. Of course not. Nah. Oh, well. Who's got the next one? Me with Primes... Crimes went international. Um, Unusually, the writ of the wartime British courts did not extend to all crimes committed in the country. Crimes committed by American military personnel were exempt, as the US authorities insisted on trying such cases in their own courts, which were set up in several locations. The main one in London was near the US embassy in Grosvenor Square. This arrangement caused no real difficulty until some disturbing statistics became known. The records showed that many more black GIs were prosecuted than white ones and were given much stiffer sentences if convicted. No, never. (laughs) One case case in particular drew public attention to this discrimination. Leroy Henry... Any relation to Lenny? (laughs) Maybe. Leroy... Leroy Jenkins, a black GI, was convicted of rape, a capital offence for the Americans, on apparently flimsy evidence. He was sentenced to death by the presiding American colonel. The case led to deep public unease in the British press and elsewhere. 33,000 people from Bath, where the alleged rape took place, signed a petition calling for a reprieve. The common view was that Henry's race was the principal reason for the conviction. General Eisenhower, the commander of the U.S. forces, had to intervene. He threw out the verdict as unsafe and returned Henry to his unit. If only Eisenhower could have done that for all of them, eh? Did he still rape or not? Eh? Did he still rape somebody? Flimsy evidence, it said. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Next one. The wartime criminalisation of some workers' rights become illegal. The wartime criminalisation of previously legitimate activities was another factor boosting crime figures. Striking, for example, became illegal under defence regulations in order to ensure that wartime industrial output was maintained at the maximum. Inevitably, this proved problematic. A 1942 miners' strike at a colliery in Kent led to the imprisonment of the miners' leaders and the threatened imprisonment of the 1,000-man workforce if they didn't pay their fines. Wow. When nearly all of them didn't pay, the government decided it wasn't a good idea to jail such a huge number of working men and prevented <laughs> the court from applying its sanction. No other strikers were imprisoned thereafter during the war, although fines continued to be levied. Wow. So, yeah, you're losing your workers' rights. I bet there's no holidays either, is there? You can't say, oh, can I just can I have the next week off on holiday, please, boss? There's no one off on the board. And you're like, ah, oh, sorry, mate, that's a bit far. I'm going to make it south, is it? 
off your trot. You know. Still, good times. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Blit spirit. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my, my older brother just got shot at Dunkirk. Can I have the week off? Nah, sorry, mate. Got to build that Spitfire. Yeah. <laughs> Get on with it. Water win, you know. Why aren't you in uniform? <laughs> well. Okay, next up. People abused the system. Yeah, the government. <laughs> The government set up various wartime compensation schemes for the population and people were quick to spot the opportunity for abuse. One scheme provided generously for people who had been bombed out. An enterprising man in Wandsworth in London claimed to have lost his home 19 times in three months and received (laughs) a substantial sum each time. He was eventually jailed for three years. Shouldn't they have just sent him to the front? As punishment. Wouldn't that be a better idea? Why are they still jailing people? Send them to the front. Yeah, and it makes more... That would be a way more fitting punishment. You would. You're ripping off your fellow countrymen. You know, you're ripping off the government. That that money we gave you could have bought a tank. Yeah, exactly. You know, fucking hell. So, yeah, off to the front con- you go. That's conscription, though, isn't it? And we got we rid of that. We? Now we were conscription at this point. Were we? Yeah. Yeah, too. It was every every man always all to the uh, all to the pump, wasn't it? If you the only way you get out of being conscripted the regular armed forces is if you joined uh, Dad's army. <laughs> That's how like uh, Pike gets out of it, gets out of going to the front because he joins the reserves as the home guard. Fair enough. Uh, you see. Right. Number ten. Criminals became heroes. Not all criminals concentrated exclusively on feathering their own nests. There were some criminal heroes. Some allowed their patriotic instincts to surface and supported the war effort. Perhaps the best known of these was the ace burglar and robber Eddie Chapman. That's a good name. Yeah. Good Good old Eddie. He was recruited by MI5 and became a British double agent known as Agent Zigzag. He was spectacularly successful at duping the Germans, who famously valued him so highly that they awarded him the Iron Cross. Fucking hell. uh, (laughs) Returning from overseas service in 1944, he was pardoned for his previous crimes and awarded a substantial payment. He was quick to return to his criminal ways, (laughs) and eventually retired in some comfort. Wow. Uh, With the German capitulation in 1945 came the end of the blackout and the bombs. The American and other foreign allied forces departed and British servicemen were demobilised. Life began to return to normal, but some criminal friendly wartime conditions lingered. Rationing did not end until uh, 1954, so the black market thrived for a few more years yet. Some old gangs went away and some new ones took their place. Crime, as always, carried on but clearly the halcyon days uh, is that how you say that halcyon yeah halcyon years were over just a few years ago mad frankie frazier a gangster who became something of a tv star in his final years told a talk show host he regretfully and seriously 
that he'd never been able to forgive the Germans for surrendering. Many old crooks echoed his sentiments. They never had it so good. Wow. Fucking hell. So they wanted the war to continue so they could keep profiteering, racketeering and just making money hand over fist over the misery of others, as all good criminals do. <laughs> yeah. Good old days, eh? So there's your blitz fucking spirit. Well, I have one art- I have an article about how uh, the blitz spirit is bunk. Okay, then. everything we've got on the, on the dark side. Oh, I have one last thing to add, actually. Um, you know the, the famously... The king and queen, King George the um, Sixth, and the queen mother or the uh, the queen consort Elizabeth mm-hmm. yeah. used to go down, didn't they? And, and you see, you've seen must have seen the photos. They go down the East End. They look around the the bombed out area. And, I mean, there's like nothing left. They're getting escorted around, and everyone's cheering them and clapping them because they famously stayed in London right. during the the bombing. I mean, yeah, but they were like, Germans, so the Germans were never going to bomb them. Well, they were. Buckingham Palace did take a hit, actually. Did Buckingham Palace took several hits, yeah. Uh, must have been stray bombs, then. Well, remember, though, it's it, this is area bombing. Yeah. You're just doing an area. Buckingham Palace did take a hit. Took several. And she's, they were saying, oh, she, apparently she was delighted when Buckingham Palace was hit because she could go down to the East End and say, oh, I can look the Londoners in the eye and tell them that we're taking it as well. And it's like, yeah, but you've got the massive, vast underground cellars that everything of import and wealth has been taken down to, and you're still basically just down there in absolute luxury. Well, the commoners are under the underground with the rats. <laughs> yeah, having their feet, the toes nibbled by rats. <laughs> um, anyway, that's the official version. The actual version is, yeah, they did used to go and tour, but nine times out of ten, they were booed. Ah, it's like, good. You haven't lost. Oh, we've been we've been hit too. Yeah, you haven't lost everything. Yeah, Your yeah, wife and kids weren't in that house. You <laughs> still got a fucking carriage to to fucking drive around in. Yeah, you, yeah. you've got this, and that's a part of the idolisation of her, of the Queen Mother in particular, because she was lived till she was 102. Yeah. Remember the. Just used to keep her in a cupboard soaked in gin and bring her out to public occasions. <laughs> she was so popular because of that, or that's that certainly the way it's been spun. That's why the royals have still probably got a little more people like them than they don't. Propaganda, mate, isn't it? Propaganda. See our fake news episode. Fake Indeed, news. I mean, even Queen Elizabeth was um, driving in the women's auxiliaries. You know, she signed up and became a driver and stuff and you know well, that's it's great but if they hadn't have done then questions should be asked shouldn't they yeah, yeah if she yeah. wasn't driving you know on the front lines was she you know what I mean well no no to be driving fucking field marshals to their fucking military balls and things <laughs> he would be doing <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so even the, the sort of past the royals are given nowadays for existing, it goes back to the Blitz spirit, doesn't it? The Blitz. Look at them going around, being cheered, everyone waving their little union flags as they walk around the bombed out, destroyed dreams of some family. Yeah. yeah. How charming. Yeah. 
come down for a glow, have we? Yeah. Is what they should have been saying. Cunt. Yeah. So oh. this article was from the Financial Times okay. by a guy called Stephen Fielding, who was a professor of political history. He says, the spirit of the Blitz isn't back, it's bunk. <laughs> During times of crisis, nations need their myths. They crave stories in the past that give hope that they will prevail over whatever disaster now faces them. During the Second World War and the aftermath of Dunkirk, Britons comforted themselves with stories of how they had stood alone before during the Napoleonic Wars and still emerged victorious. To further boost morale, the Ministry of Information even helped transform Shakespeare's Henry V into a glossy movie starring Laurence Olivier at the Battle of Agincourt against all the odds a few English archers defeated heavily armoured French knights. Today, the UK is once again, according to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, at war, but this time against a new kind of enemy, the coronavirus, and despite the unprecedented nature of the current crisis, many Britons of a certain age at least are using the past to inspire them. Dame Vera Lynn, now 103, <laughs> still drag her out to sing that fucking song every year. Oh, you love it. I don't actually. I do not. I don't. Just let her fucking let her let her just fucking rest. Uh, Don't (laughs) drag her every year to sing these fucking songs. She's 103. Let the woman rest. Yeah, we don't really need it. No, I bet she's fucking sick of that song. Oh my god, fucking hell. You know it. And I'll do the best of all the oldies. They're all there clapping their hands and she's singing and she's thinking. She's dead inside when she sings it. She must be right now. <laughs> She's got to be. I would be. Like, oh. Oh. Mm. Do you remember when Wet 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 were number one for like 18 minutes oh. or something? How and they were just about get... to break the record, weren't they? And someone asked him, what, you know, how do you feel about the song? And he's like, I'm sick to death of it. And then that week it dropped number one. <laughs> yeah. Fair so she says, she's invoking the spirit of the Blitz. When we all pulled together and looked after each other, all myths contain an element of truth, or they cannot be sustained. But how far does this memory of the Blitz measure up to reality? One early episode raises some doubts within weeks of the declaration of war in September 1939, and well before even one German bomb had fallen upon a British city, the government organised the evacuation of 1.5 million working-class children and mothers to the safety of the suburbs and countryside. But while many in London's East End had to protect themselves under rat-infested railway arches during acute bombing raids, the Dorchester Hotel offered residents deep shelters with eiderdowns and silk sheets. Hmm. If there was any solidarity during the Blitz, it was within those working-class communities worst affected. In the same way they'd helped themselves during the uh, privations of the interwar depression, many felt abandoned by the authorities, And to such an extent that on one occasion when the king and queen visited the East End, they were booed, as I mentioned earlier. And of course, at this point, they've got no health care. If they get bombed, they've got to pay for a doctor out of their own money. Actually, no, that's uh, the proto-NHS at this point. Hospital treatment was given for free or very cheap. Okay, that just blew my fucking thing out of the water, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, this is where the NHS idea came from. Because they knew, the government knew, there was no way on earth everyone was going to lose free healthcare overnight after the war. Oh, hang on, fuck you. You know, any government that says they're taking that away, 
isn't going to survive. I'm hoping the same will happen now and they will realise that UBI is the only way forward. You know, let's hope so. Right. There are even limits to working class camaraderie. In 1943, 173 people crushed to death as a panicking crowd tried to squeeze into Bethnal Green tube station at the start of an air raid. This disaster occurred in a Jewish part of London and the reactions to it exposed ugly prejudice. The mass observation reports picked up many anti-Semitic comments such as this one. They lost their nerve. They haven't got the steadiness like we have. We may be slow, but we're sure. But the Jews are different. West Indians and Africans also complained they were made unwelcome in shelters shared with white EastEnders. Wow. Would you agree with any of that, do you think? Uh, no. Yeah. Would you agree with any of that? Uh, wasn't it quite anti-Semitic? Mm. No, um, I don't. <laughs> Indians and Africans complaining that they were made to feel unwelcome in shelters. Uh, I can believe it, man. I can believe it, of course. Yeah. Unfortunately, of course. <sighs> People are cunts. They always have been. They were probably way worse back then. I mean, my best mate's Indian and he went to school in the 80s and it sounds like a nightmare compared to what it was then, what it is now. And that wasn't that long ago. So, yeah, unfortunately, I can't believe it. Yeah. Because, I mean, in the, in, in the 1940s, there was probably still people alive that had owned slaves. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, they'd be very old, but possibly, yeah. They'd be in the it'd be in the eighties. They'd be in the hundreds probably, but there's still a few about. May have been. Um, it's worth pointing out just for reference, as of the Blackout Ripper. If you're thinking about it, it, the the Jack the Ripper would only been fifty odd years before. Right. It's still in living memory for people. Yeah. It is strange. I mean, I don't buy this. I think people came together to a point. I don't think you'd like leave your neighbour to die if the house next door takes a direct hit, would you? You'd be out there trying to dig for the rubble, get them out. I think the majority, the majority of the working class, I think, probably pulled together. Obviously, there's going to be crooks and people. Uh, opportunity. Yeah. So, so I mean, be those people, isn't there? Yeah. But, I think, the whole spirit thing, it's it's kind of thrown back at us all the time. Is whenever things are shit, like now or in a war, it's oh that blitz spirit. Oh, we'll push through like we always do, and it's a fucking lie, isn't it? I mean, all right, a lot of people do, but what else? What else can you do? Of course, Ben, it's politicians trying to manipulate your your feelings so that you agree with them. Yeah, of course, it's going to be used, isn't it? Now this leads me on to a mini rant. Okay. Where there's a guy, Captain Tom, he's 99 years old, he's a Second World War veteran. He's 99 years old and he's dragging himself, dragging his aching body around his garden to do so many laps before his birthday at the end of the month. And he's raised £20 million for the NHS, which is fantastic because they've been had their money taken from them for the last 10 years by this government and Nurses have had a pay rise, which the government cheered, and all this stuff. And he's dragging his aching body around. 
and people are going out and they're clapping the NHS on a Thursday night. Wonderful, yeah. great. You I was see the idi- Did you see? Did you see the? Oh, good for you. Did you see the idiots <laughs> on, on Westminster Bridge this week? All stood hundreds of people on the fucking bridge, including the police, stood there clapping. All stood bunched together. You're just making the fucking problem worse, you daft pricks. Well, that was stupid, yeah, but I've got no problem with people clapping outside the windows and things. Look, my point is, that old guy, Captain Tom, shouldn't be having to drag himself around his garden because the NHS is short of vital equipment. Of course he shouldn't. It's a, fucking, right. it's a, it's a national disgrace. <laughs> exactly. It is. it is a wonderful thing to do, but at the same time, it's a national disgrace he's got to do it. Course. Um, as for this standing outside and clapping, well, all right, but the majority of those fucking morons doing it. No offense, Mike. Voted Tory. They voted. They voted for ten years for the NHS to be cut down and cut down and cut down, and the money that was being they're paying from their wages, the and our national insurance is being siphoned off into tax breaks for corporations. I'm sorry, show your appreciation next time by not voting these fuckers in, eh? Well, maybe they might next time because, no, they it... the clapping because they've done the clapping and they've My... seen, and it's jolted into their consciousness then and they're like, oh, the NHS, the NHS. And next time they might vote for a party that's going to care for it more than the fucking Tories. Mike, what's the current attention span for the public? So whatever the papers tell them, you've got five years for the next election. This one be brought well, up. Well, that's this true, one be... I mean, have you seen the, the Daily Mail on that saying, oh, we love our NHS workers? Mm. And it's like a few months ago they were fucking deriding them. Do you know what I mean? Saying that they're money grabbers. and Yeah, the junior doctors are money grabbers. Because <laughs> they're working like 70 hours a fucking week and being exhausted because of staff. Staffing it's fucking, levels. It's the fucking hypocrisy of these papers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you see that fucking? They, they, I mean, the government's got oh, we're going to for the carers and, and NHS staff who having to go to work, and uh, they're giving them this, a little badge like of appreciation. So you've worked through this, you get to wear this little badge, yeah. <laughs> right? The badge costs eight ninety nine. Right. One <laughs> carer said, "No." They said to this carer, "She's you know looking flustered. She's going about to all these trying to get as many of these old people in, making sure they're okay, making sure they're not ill, checking in on these guys on the on the hourly." And she says, "Well, would I buy it? I get paid eight pound sixty six an hour." Uh, yeah, and if for eight pound ninety eight, think how many gloves and masks they can get for that. That's it, isn't it? And when, and, it's, oh, and Matt Hancock, I can't stand the cunt. And he's like saying, oh, it's not like they fall from the sky, PPE equipment, you know what I mean? So I can't, I can't get hold of any. Three times they've rejected the EU for protective equipment. And why can't they requisite companies to start making it? Some companies would come to them and say, you know, we'll change or we'll make PPE. And the government have refused them. Yeah, exactly. Cut. I mean... My firm, who I work for, I'm currently furloughed on, we supply the NHS. We don't supply them with PPE, but we've got the stuff in stock. Just not buying it from us, but no, because of contracts. You got to sp- We spend this much and that's it. Yeah, and plus they want to they want to sell it, sell the contracts to their mates so they can make a bit of money. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's why they go into government. That's capitalism, baby. Government, 
Yeah, just so they can give government contracts to their mates or firms that they've got stocks in so they can make more money. Yeah. Oh, makes you feel good, doesn't it? Still, Blitz Spirit, eh? Chin up, yeah. take it on the chin. We'll be fine. Blitz Spirit, we made it through the Blitz, we'll make it through this. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta win the Euros if they ever happen. <laughs> if half the team's not dead. <laughs> Either killed by coronavirus or the class uprisings that followed. Yeah. Ah, it's going to be fine. I think. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to think about it. Just distracting myself with completely frivolous and pointless ways to spend my time. Yeah. I've been living in a semi-daze between watching TV and slobbing out on the sofa and working out for about an hour, an hour and a half, and then going back to doing exactly what I was doing before. Uh, walking the dog, that's about it. A lot of people walking their dogs now. Nice to see. I didn't see that. Never saw that before. Well, maybe this will, pe- people will get healthier. Maybe. <laughs> but then again, for every person that's walking the dog, there's 10 persons sat around in their jogging bottoms eating chips. Yeah, there is that too. <laughs> in all fairness, I've actually forgotten what it's like to wear trousers without an elasticated waistband. Doing <laughs> <laughs> that long as I wore jeans. Hey, Ben, sometimes yeah. when you're a man, you must wear stretchy pants. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's words to live by. Exactly. Anyone else got anything to add for the Blitz? No, I'm good. I'll move on now, yeah, weird news. Yeah. Let's get the boys' views on this week's weird news. Indonesia deploying ghosts to scare people into staying inside, and it's actually terrifying. I love it. <laughs> if only they were deploying real ghosts, that would be fucking hilarious. Yeah. Instead, it's a bit Scooby-Doo-esque, but even so, I like it. Uh, a village on the island of Java have recruited volunteer ghosts to scare people into staying at home. But for some, they've had the opposite effect. Indonesia's leaders, including President Joko Yokawi, have been slow to react to the coronavirus pandemic and resisting a national lockdown. The capital, Jakarta, has ordered a two-week closure of offices and banned gatherings of more than five people but has not directly ordered people to stay at home. Instead, there have been information campaigns to urge individuals to practice social distancing and good hygiene. But with the second highest rate of coronavirus deaths in Asia after China, some communities decided to take matters into their own washed hands. And since the Indonesians love all things horror, the archipelago's folklore contains hundreds of tales of ghosts and ghouls. And what is better... And to keep, what better tool to keep people indoors than ghosts? A youth group in the village of Kepu in central Java decided to recruit volunteer ghosts to patrol the streets, hoping the sight of them would send anyone anyone feeling home to hide under the bed covers. I think it should be uh, fleeing. Yeah, I was thinking that. Anya, last name evades me, head yeah. of a village youth group. <laughs> that coordinated the police on the unconventionalist told Reuters we wanted to be different and create a deterrent 
spooky because, quotes Pokong are spooky and scary. With their trailing white shawls and painted white and black faces, a Pokong will be a terrible thing to come across at night. These shroud ghosts, who represent the souls of the dead, jump out from the grave to warn people that the soul needs to be released from the shroud in which it was buried. Have you seen, look at the picture. Yeah, can you imagine walking through the graveyard at night? That fucking thing just jumps out of you and goes, my soul needs to be released! <laughs> no, like, kick it in the nuts and... <laughs> And run away as fast as I can. I'd decapitate it with my katana. (laughs) Mike, are you starting to carry a katana around at night? Of course, I live in Manon's Lee. (laughs) (laughs) There are other weapons that are available. Good shout, Mike. (laughs) Well, for some... The supernatural strategy seems to be working a treat. Resident Carno Super Supermo said, since the Pokong appeared, parents and children not, have not left their homes and people will not gather or stay on the streets after evening prayers. Obviously, though, that has the reverse effect and some people actually come out and try and get a glimpse of them, so it's... Yeah. <laughs> Still, since the tactics somewhat backfired, organisers have tried a different route, launching surprise Pokong patrols so that people can't expect where to lie in wait for a sighting. And a surprise ghost is always going to be more scary than one that sticks to the schedule. So, yeah, literally, you're walking home, you, you snuck out, you're going to see it visit a mate, you've got pissed around his, you're stumbling back home, you walk to the churchyard, one of comes out in the fucking darkness and screams, I need my soul released into your face, and then you <laughs> shit yourself and die. Well. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. I wouldn't fancy it. There's definitely better ways to go. No, I wouldn't fancy it. It's not my that first choice way of dying, let's put it that way. Yeah. I'd like to know what is. You really want to know? Yeah. Well, it's a toss-up between storming a machine gun post <laughs> or um, having my um, having my neck snapped by a woman as she sits on my face. Wow. That is you. It's one of them, Tim. That is just you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Psychopathic sex addict. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what? Psychopathic <laughs> sex addict. You know, in all fairness, that's probably the ingredients that make up a serial killer. Yeah. You don't have to tell us. <laughs> oh, you've been keeping a file on me, have you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, is this what it is? You're psychoanalyzing me. Are you undercover? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, next up, dealer caught with £57,000 worth of cocaine in car told police he was, quote, key worker. Uh, Sounds like he's a key worker to me. Fucking too right. Let's see if it was fucking cannabis. <laughs> Actually, I did see one story. Music producer and like street artist guy called Outlaw in Manchester, and he's been going around delivering bags of bud. Wow. How nice of him. Yeah. He was um, planning to do this massive 420 tour, apparently, and 
had his grow on. Obviously, that yeah. didn't happen. So he, he said, well, it's all good to go. So he's been going around dishing out 10 bags to people. Fuck me. That's amazing. <laughs> the Robin Hood of weed. I think you can actually contact him and give you postcodes. If he's in the area, he will in Manchester, he will drop you some weed off. Oh, that's brilliant. At a distance, obviously. Leave on the doorstep, maybe. Excellent. That's good to know. Yeah. So if you're in Manchester, look for uh, Outlaw. <laughs> and please come to the Telford area and bring two bags with you. Yes, that would be fun. Yes. I'm sorry, Mike, I interrupted there and took over the article, sorry. Okay, Benjamin Evans tried to talk his way at the traffic stop by telling officers he's returning home from a night shift. Wales Online, Online reports how, despite Evans wearing high-visibility work clothes, police decided to search his vehicle. It was there they found a package containing cocaine with a street value of around £57,000. Wow. Police said the possession of drugs was intent with intent to supply does not qualify as essential work. I disagree. <laughs> we, all, we all disagree. <laughs> How are we going to get through this? Exactly. Go have something, you fucking savages. You know what would have been nice if they said, right, you're going to be locked down for another three weeks. We're going to legalise marijuana. We're <laughs> <laughs> just going to legalise everything for a while. That would be fucking awesome. They should do it fucking full stop. They've done it in Portugal. That's true. Crime goes down. Yeah. yeah. Drug show. abuse goes down. All studies show. Yeah. Because it would probably, like, the... The darkest thing about this pandemic, probably other than the dead people, is uh, the amount of domestic violence being on the rise. Oh, yeah, so, I saw that. So surely some like free weed might help with that situation, maybe. Yeah. I don't think it's a horrible situation, but... Yeah. You know. Come on, Popo, put your... You've got loads of weed in storage. Give us some. <laughs> they must have. They must have. You know it. Of course. In an apocalypse, it's the first place I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> the evidence <laughs> fucking lockers in the police station. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm raiding it for weapons and drugs. Yeah. That's a good shout. In all fairness, let's, let's not just leave the weapons because someone else will have them. We might need them. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty much it for that article, isn't it? Yeah, last oh, one. Let me just get mine lined up. Sorry, I should have been ready. I am so professional here. And finally, a company is selling testicle jacuzzis, a.k.a. the testicuzzi. This, <laughs> I think, is possibly humanity's greatest invention. Are you boys looking at the pictures? I am. Holy moly. I think I just got an erection. <laughs> uh, I want one. Me too. Right. It says here. Oh, man. Just, just, let, me, just let me set a scene. Right. You get in from work, tired, sit on the sofa. You, you get your dressing gown on, go and sit on the sofa and just pop your balls into one of these and sit back with a can. 
Oh, a cup of tea and a joint for me. Yeah, oh, whatever. Cup of tea whatever. whatever. Right, let's explain to the listener oh. what they are. Because they oh. can't Great news for every guy tired of soaking their testicles in a bowl of microwaved water and then putting a super long straw into the bowl and blowing into it. All four of you. Hey, I'm one of them guys. There is now an official testicle jacuzzi to soak your boys in. This groundbreaking men's relaxation appliance is called the testacuzzi and its tagline suggests, both literally and figuratively, it's for the nuts. (laughs) According to the testacuzzi website, this is no gag gift either. They are very clear about that, despite their insistence on tossing, tossing some ero- <laughs> erog- <laughs> egregious. egregious puns into the product description. Thank <laughs> you, Mike. The testacuzzi is the... Oh, this is from their website. The testacuzzi is the perfect gift for the man that genuinely cares about his testicle happiness. One dunk of the boys into this fine testicle hot tub is sure to tickle your fancy and soothe your manliness. The testacuzzi features an ultra-soft precast silicone pillow to rest your largest member on, a deep reservoir to teabag into, battery-powered bubbles and hours of pleasure. This is not a gag gift. It's an actual product. But if you want to buy it for a friend, well, we'll let you call it a gag gift for men. It's a bullsack hot tub. (laughs) That's basically all there is to this story. Yeah, it doesn't give us a price. I dread to think. I want. I know. I want to know. I tell you what, hot tub time machine would be a different film, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the test the hot tub ball machine. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I've got to watch that movie again. Test the koozie time machine. I've never actually seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at the website now. How funny uh, is it, Mike? I don't know if you saw the messages earlier. I said to Ben, oh, have you seen the movie Goon? It's cool. It's about ice hockey. And he's like, yeah, I've seen that. It's really good. And I said, yeah, yeah, there's a sequel as well on Netflix. I'm going to watch called The Last Enforcer. And he was like, oh, that's the one I watched. Did I watch the second one first? <laughs> yes. yes you and did. you know what, Gaz? I watched it with him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I watched it separately to you, Mike, because uh, you didn't like it. Oh, I didn't like it. I only got halfway through and I, I didn't like uh, it. The first one's actually quite good because it's based on a true story. I, re- I looked into it a bit. He was a guy who, uh, they changed it a bit for the movie, but in real life, he was an amateur boxer who uh, got into the hockey team purely to fight. He could barely skate. <laughs> or he could punch the shit out of people. Hmm. Um, yeah, the first one's quite good. I'd, I'd recommend it. It's good. Cool. It, I, since we've been going to watch the hockey live, it, I think that's probably got more to do with it. I'm like... Yeah, Mr. Hockey, I think. Yeah. I know yeah, you're I saying. Watched, I watched both games, uh, movies today, anyway. Anyway, that's Are they both on Netflix, then? Yeah, man. All right, okay, cool. All right, well, I've just done some live research. Yeah? There is the Testacuzzi Jet Black Edition with a little red pillow for your knob to sit on. <laughs> uh, it's Jet Black, apart from that red. That's sixty nine sixty nine. Dollars reduced from $99. There's the Testacuzzi White Edition, $69.69. Pure white enamel with a a grey cushion to rest your your gentleman on. And there is the Testacuzzi Limited Edition 24K Carat Gold Plate Edition. That's Uh, sold out, though. Sold out. But you know what? 
Actually, oh no, breaking, breaking. The black edition is sold out. Only the white edition left now. Uh, nobody wants the white one. Goddamn patriarchy. Yeah, I want. I do want the black one. It looks smart as fuck. Do we send you the link? No. I don't have 70 quid for a ball machine. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Mate, we're in lockdown. We've got what we want. <laughs> I'll make my own one like it said in the in the article. All I need is a straw and a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I want... A, a really I want long... the full works. And, uh, this is my here. number one Christmas gift. A bucket and a recycled McDonald's coffee cup will do for me. <laughs> this is my this is my ultimate Christmas gift now. I want one of these. I, I'm going to get one. <laughs> I'm not going to This is all I want in life now. <laughs> Genuinely, this is... I'm really, I'm, I don't know I've made it so far in life without one. We'll have to go off son, with him for his birthday. Yeah. I'm not having it to live Why not? I'm not in the postman looking at that thing. <laughs> it's going to be this, a, 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 it'll be a discreet package. Guys, yeah. you've got a woman, you just have to put a bit of water in her mouth and ask her to gargle for a bit. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man in the podcasts. Well, it's been a while on this episode for the first one, but well done, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, we wrap this one up, boys, because I'm afraid... On that bombshell. I need a poo. (laughs) Well, fair enough. (laughs) Nice. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Ben. Don't drink the Flavor Aid and don't join a cult. Unless it's a tiger cult. Hey, I've been Mike Free. No. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Mike, you're stealing your identity. <laughs> I had an existential crisis then for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, he's Mike, who the fuck am I? Thinking, oh shit, is it my go or Mike's? Because I thought Mike. I said... <laughs> oh, wow. okay. So, hang I... on, let's, let's just clarify, right? What if we ever Mike... get around to doing a bloopers reel? <laughs> what if we ever get around to yeah. doing a bloopers reel? That's wow. the one. Wow. Keep that in. Keep that in. <laughs> uh, I really think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's just me being a fool. <laughs> well, I'd say your line. Oh shit! Yeah, you're waiting for that, aren't you? Sorry. Free. I've been guys. Free bit Tannen. Mike. <laughs> I've been Mike. Peace out. May the fourth be with you. All right. Thank you. Good night. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>